Today in Understanding Immigration, changes in ICE policy and current events. The two of these memos taken together, who in the United States that's living here illegally is really being deported? So you could argue that this is essentially telling ICE you can't deport anyone except maybe mass murderers. And looking at the way this is written, I could make an argument that you can't even deport a mass murderer. I mean, they literally see no problem with someone working here illegally. Uh, they're trying to protect them at all costs from removal. Now but with better wages, working conditions. I mean, there is no, in their mind, illegal versus legal person. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. My name is Preston Hennekins. I'm FAIR's Government Relations Manager and the host of today's show. And I'm joined today by our Press Secretary, Matthew Tregesser, and our Research Director, Spencer Raley. There's been plenty of immigration news in recent days. We have a new and growing problem with Haitian asylum-seeking aliens, an explosion of apprehensions in Arizona, and some disturbing new policies from the Biden administration and DHS. So let's jump right into it. Uh, we're going to start first with what is going on with the growing number of Haitian aliens arriving at the border. Uh, the U.S. government has expelled thousands of Haitians from our southern border. 15,000 Haitians were, at one point, camping out in Del Rio, Texas. The Department of Homeland Security reports that most of the Haitians have been sent back to Haiti or turned back to Mexico. So I want to go ahead and open it up to both you guys and, and first maybe ask, what made this Haitian population different from the other groups that we were seeing coming to the southern border um, during this administration? Well, I think the most interesting thing was just the quantity of people coming in one location over this small time frame. frame. It was about, you know, an eight-day period where, as you said, 15,000 people were located under this international bridge near Del Rio, Texas. And a lot of these Haitians, believe it or not, were actually residing in uh, South American countries like Chile, um, Brazil, Colombia for almost a decade. And after the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, a lot of them migrated to South America and have just kind of stayed put there. Well, now due to the Biden administration controlling our border and immigration policies, uh, a lot of these migrants thought, hey, now is the time to come up to the U.S.-Mexico border. This is the best opportunity for us. And, you know, you, you listen to these reviews that they, or interviews that they do, and a lot of them are looking for better jobs, better wages. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that doesn't qualify for political asylum in our country. And that creates a number of logistical issues and, um, you know, contributes to our backlog. So I think it was just a... Uh, a crazy situation just to see that sheer number of people, 15,000 over eight days. Um, and then, as you mentioned, some were returned uh, to Haiti on these repatriation flights, but only about 7,000. So 8,000, you know, we're still kind of trying to calculate where they ended up. Is it, are they in Mexico? Are they in the interior of our country now? Um, that remains to be seen. And let's not forget, there's another caravan except of 80,000 now of Haitian migrants coming through the Darien Gap that separates Panama from Colombia. They're on their way here uh, and should be here within the next few weeks unless, you know, the, the Northern Triangle countries step up and, you know, enforce their borders more. Yeah, it, it, I thought it was really interesting because I, I, I think I saw this somewhere quoted where one of the Haitians, they interviewed him and said, why are you coming to the U.S.? Um, was, it, was it bad in Argentina or Chile or wherever yeah. they were? And they go... No, it's good in Argentina, but it's going to be great in the United States. And so that's right. <laughs> almost immediately disqualifies you for asylum. So I wonder 
if this in this next caravan as they're you know hearing more from other international NGOs and they're getting in touch with some of the activist groups here in the U.S. if they'll change their tune about how great South you know some of the South American countries they lived the better part of a decade in. <laughs> well, I think that also is just a testament to the Biden administration's narrative of essentially come to America. Again, I remember seeing another another interview with someone. They asked them, you know, why why are you coming? They said because Biden told us to. Biden said, yeah. "Come on now, I'm I'm welcoming you to America." So I was like, "All right, here I come." And those that were apprehended and were facing deportation acted shocked. Yeah. They were like, "Biden said we could come though," and, and and you know, just kind of appalled that they were facing consequences for violating, you know, our border laws. And it really is, in a way, it's a kind of change of tune from the past. Because again, and you know, during the crisis of 2019, we actually saw a lot of these migrant uh, advocate groups, these illegal alien advocate groups, going to the border, going to Mexico, and coaching people on how mm-hmm. how to get through these initial asylum interviews, uh, because they realized that was going to be necessary if they wanted to get into essentially the backlog of cases and have a shot at staying in the United States for at a minimum of several years. Now it just seems like that's a lot of migrants don't even don't even care to do that. They know that the chances of them being deported are so low that they can basically just come and say, yeah, I'm here. What are you going to do about it? Biden said I could come. And it's it's really, it's a shame. And that's why we now have another caravan of tens of thousands, potentially 80,000 or more coming to the United States. Because why wouldn't you, if the message is being put out there that there are no uh, ramifications for, uh, not only are there no ramifications for violating our, our border laws, there's a very high likelihood that you will be brought into the states, and there is also talk of you staying here for years and even getting amnesty. Right. No, and it's, you know, let's not forget the, the trek that they have to do. Again, a lot of these uh, migrants from Haiti are in South America right now, and they're migrating, you know, thousands of miles by foot, you know, getting involved with human smugglers, um, going through really dangerous and hazardous conditions. Again, the Darien Gap, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with this, look this up on Google. I mean, it is a really rural gap. There's no infrastructure. Uh, it's a lot of rainforest, and it's it's a dangerous trek. And, you know, it's a, a lot of money obviously involved with this too. And it's, you know, they're just being encouraged to come to the border right now. And it's, you know, presents risk to to the migrants themselves as well. So another aspect of this that I wanted to touch on is the Biden administration's reaction to the Haitian migrants as opposed to just run-of-the-mill Central Americans that are applying for asylum. Um, We saw this, interestingly enough, with Cuba as well, Mm -hmm. when the Biden administration really seemed to crack down on Cubans specifically to get them out of the country and not accommodate them the way that they were accommodating Central Americans. And we, we sort of saw this with Haiti as well, with mm-hmm. the Haitians as well. They, they put them on flights back to Haiti, which is something I seemingly hasn't done in a long time with Central Americans. Um, they, they really made an effort, maybe not in practice, but at least in the media, of trying to, to shut this down. So why do we think the Biden administration wanted to almost appear as if they were doing something with the Haitians and, the, and to an extent Cubans while they've really just thrown open the doors to everyone else? Well, I mean, I think a big part of it is just narrative control. I mean, it, they're not blind to the fact that every poll from those 
you know, typically perceived as conservative all the way to some of the most radical left-wing, you know, uncredible pollsters out there, all of these results are showing, you know, essentially no one supporting the Biden administration on immigration. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that they're trying to put a little bit of spin on this narrative. But like Matthew mentioned, you know, there are still thousands, many thousands of these Haitians that are either being released into the interior. We, we don't know what happened. To them. Yeah. They're not all being quickly expelled via Title 42, as they honestly should be. Uh, there is just a significant portion that they're still being resettled. Also, uh, I, I, I don't know, we might even be comparing apples and oranges, comparing that situation to the, uh, to the, to the Cuban migrants in southern Florida, because quite frankly... Uh, migrants fleeing socialism and communism have not particularly been kind to the Democratic Party. They don't serve the interests that the Biden administration is looking for. And, you know, we can't claim to know exactly why they chose only to remove all those individuals right. coming from Cuba. Because it's but not it is, about future voters. That's I was going to say, it, it's yeah. very <laughs> curious how they seem very quick to expel uh, voters who are not going to fall in line with the ideology and with the, uh, you know, the uh, um, preferred political stances of the mass immigration lobby. I think it's also important to know that many of most individuals coming from places like Cuba actually have valid concerns uh, regarding asylum claims. You know, that's a very mm -hmm. brutal communist dictatorship. Uh, and if anyone that espouses any kind of Western values is at very, very high risk. Uh, that's very different from individuals who may have left Haiti 10, 15 years ago, have legal status in countries like Chile or Argentina, but then thought, oh, cool, I can get a better job in America and there's no penalty for violating their border laws. And so they mm -hmm. decide to make the trek here. Uh, so, I mean... Overall, I mean, just to reinstate my initial point, I think most of it has to do with spin control, and that's a credit to the American people, to voters like you know, like all of you listening, putting pressure on Congress, on the Biden administration, letting them know, being very vocal, saying we don't support this and we're going to remember it. I think it also just shows how inconsistent uh, DHS is under uh, the Biden administration, or how DHS has been uh, under Biden. You know, really inconsistent policies. Not only with this, you know, you're being more aggressive with, with Haitians, but not really being as aggressive with uh, people from the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Again, those represent the vast majority of people coming to our southern border. But let's also not forget, you know, DHS uh, Secretary Mallorca saying uh, to migrants, you know, come, don't come, come <laughs> late, like, you know, all, all over the place. Same thing with Title 42 uh, saying, his administration saying, or his agency rather, saying that, uh, you know, they were going to repeal it. Now they're gonna keep it in place. You know, Mike was saying yesterday something to the effect of that they don't support Title 42 as an immigration policy. They don't embrace it that way. So it's it just really inconsistent and mixed messaging. And it, it creates a lot of confusion, not only for people in our country, but, you know, migrants trying to come here. Right. All right. So this is going to be the last question about the situation with the Haitians. Um, I believe, Matthew, you brought up the point of the caravan that is currently on the way to the southern border that's made up mostly of Haitian, I assume, asylum seekers. So, you know, this, just final question on this point. We saw caravans as a, a big part of the 2019 crisis 
at the border under the Trump administration. And obviously the Trump administration dealt with them in a very different way than I think the Biden administration will. Do either of y'all have a sense what Biden will try to do with with this new caravan? I know, Spencer, you brought up the, the, the issue with spin control and with media narratives. Um, is there going to be some sort of effort from his administration to pretend like they're doing something about this? In, in my opinion, no. I think they're going to be you know, just waiting and going to react too late to the situation. They're all, the Haitians will be here uh, in large numbers, and it's going to be another disaster like what happened in Del Rio. Uh, I actually uh, wrote an op-ed uh, for Town Hall uh, just recently talking about like three steps that they can do, the administration can do to avoid another Del Rio debacle. And, you know, that starts with, uh, you know, fully applying Title 42, the public health order on all Haitian migrants. Don't just apply it to single adults, apply it to uh, unaccompanied minors and family units as well. Uh, increase these flights back to Haiti that are deporting these individuals. Again, they have done it to some extent, but only, only to about half of the people that were here in Del Rio uh, last month. Uh, and, you know, just restarting a lot of these border deterrent initiatives, the migrant protection protocols we've talked about, the asylum cooperation agreements with the Northern Triangle countries. I mean, just these agreements that were put in place and immediately ripped out when uh, President Biden got into office. So I don't think they're going to do anything. I think they're, they're just going to, you know, wait and, and see what happens. But those are three things that they could do right now to avoid another situation like Del Rio. Right. And I think it's important to clarify those are all things that the executive branch yeah. can do. Uh, they don't have to you know, ask Congress to do something, wait for it to go through committee over a number of months, and then eventually die on the floor. I mean, this is something they could do right now if they want to. It could be done by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think you're right, Matthew. I think it's going to be a little situation. It just seems like the MO of this uh, administration is ignore a problem, ignore a problem, ignore a problem until a crisis happens yeah. and be like, whoa, where'd yeah. that come from? <laughs> They're reactive, uh, and then react to, yeah. And then react to it. And that is not a sign of good or acceptable leadership. And it has, it has to change. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. there, like you said, there's no sign of it changing. But you know, at what point do concurrent crises, you know, just destroy an organization like DHS. We're already seeing Border Patrol agents resign in record numbers because they did not sign up to become a welcoming committee for individuals who are breaking our laws, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's essentially what they've become. And so I know it seems like every podcast we come on here and say, you know, could, could the Biden administration do this any worse and then they seem to outdo themselves but yeah it just doesn't seem like there are any signs of that slowing down or stopping and speaking of concurrent crises uh let's move on <laughs> to our second topic um, which also deals with what we're seeing at the border the the yuma sector of the southwest border has seen an explosion of apprehensions uh in just one year apprehensions soared by 2400 percent so the numbers behind that, in August 2020, officials apprehended just 684 people. In August 2021, they apprehended 17,097. So this obviously has a lot to do with policy changes that have occurred in the past year. Uh, it isn't just Yuma. We've seen explosion of apprehensions ever since the Biden administration took over. 
But but I want to talk about what's happening in Yuma. This is in um, Arizona. It has shifted away from the other sectors of the border um, in Texas that kind of used to be the epicenter. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on on why now it appears that there's so many more apprehensions moving towards that sector of the border. Yeah, it's it's definitely strange. I mean, when we think of the Biden border crisis, you know, we think of the Del Rio sector, Rio Grande Valley sector. Those have been the hotspots for sure in the past year, but this has strangely become one quietly. And I think you know, there's probably a lot of reasons why this is happening. Obviously, all across the border, uh, human smugglers are observing what the Biden administration is doing with immigration and border policies, and they're trying to find uh, sectors that are actually probably quieter in, in the sense that there's you know fewer migrants there, less border patrol uh, presence. You know, all the attention right now is in you know southern Texas, so that could be partially why that these human smugglers are starting to map out, okay, well, this sector is kind of, you know, it's quieter than what we're seeing in Texas. Let's maybe start um, transitioning over here. Um, But again, you know, this is widespread. You know, in almost every border sector, we're seeing record numbers of apprehensions. Again, why uh, President Biden has uh, rescinded the Migrant Protection Protocols Program, halted the vast majority of wall construction, again, terminated the asylum cooperation agreements. Uh, We'll talk about later about these um, ICE enforcement memos basically saying if you're here illegally, you're not going to be removed. Uh, so combine all these things. I mean, they, they tell migrants, hey, you know, now is the time to come. And um, yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be a shock that we're, we're seeing these uh, numbers surge. And something unique about Yuma, too, has been the number of extracontinental illegal aliens that we've seen coming in through Yuma. Um, and this was a topic that we discussed on the podcast a few weeks ago was this phenomenon. Um, Spencer, you know, w- we're seeing this gr- this growth of extracontinental illegal aliens. There was a report in the Wall Street Journal uh, this morning um, discussing how many people now are flying to Mexico, mm-hmm. to, um, get into Mexico City, and then just waltz on up to the border. Why are we seeing this? I know we talked about this, but but particularly in Yuma, is there anything aside from kind of what Matthew said that's drawing these people here? <laughs> well, first of all, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it's easier to come to the United States illegally right now than it is to come in even if you yeah. are, <laughs> even if you have a, you know, some form of a visa or status because for the most part, our borders are still closed to legal immigrants. And and laughably, we just saw an announcement come out where the Biden administration said that in November, they're going to reopen the border to, uh, you know, non-essential travel. And anyone who's watching what's going on the border would go like, wait, it's closed? Well, yeah, it's closed to people who come here the right way. And it's very, very open to people who don't. So that's one reason you're seeing a lot of individuals opting like, well, I... You know, I can't come to the United States right now, whether to see my family or to work the right way. So, you know, even if even if I have the means, the capability, even the status to come to the United States appropriately, I, I can't do so right now. So I'm just going to come and do it illegally. It's easier that way. The other thing, and this is a lot more concerning to me, is if you look at crime statistics, you know, criminal illegal alien apprehensions, those often happen in sectors where there's, you know, less Border Patrol presence, less traffic traditionally, areas like the Yuma sector. And while we haven't seen hard numbers on this yet, I'm waiting to see what percentage of these individuals are either on anything from, you know, suspected gang members and drug traffickers all the way up to people who may be on a terror watch list. We have seen individuals on those watch lists get apprehended, you know, whether it's at our own border, 
We also recently saw a report where a number of individuals with terror connections were apprehended down in Panama. You know, individuals that come from South America, traverse through that area, and eventually come to the United States. So I think that's even of a bigger concern. Because what we're seeing a lot of right now is um, these these gang organizations are very smart. The individuals that are just paying them to come to the United States for economic reasons, they essentially dump them all into one area, which right now is in Texas. And you end up, the Biden administration is reacting exactly how they thought they would. They dump all of their resources into those areas, again, to act as a welcoming committee to process individuals bringing them to the United States. And while all those border agents are doing that out somewhere else where there are now fewer border agents and it's less likely they'll be caught, that's where they do the nefarious stuff. That's, when the bad, that's where the bad people come in. That's where the criminals come in. That's where the drug trafficking happens. So, again... If history serves as any purpose, it should not come as a shock if we see that crime statistics uh, in the Yuma sector increase as this increases. Now, there's often a lag in discovering that, uh, but that's another concern that I have, and I think it's it's a reason why that area should not just be ignored uh, right now. Absolutely, and I'll before we move on to our our um, final um, final segment, I just want to leave our listeners with this. In 11 months of the 2021 fiscal year, Customs and Border Protection apprehended over 1.5 million people. Um, for reference, in all of 2020 of the fiscal of that fiscal year, we only apprehended 458,000, um, and a lot of that was due to COVID. But that's still that's in, that's all, that's well over a million more people that have been apprehended in just 11 months. The last time there was a serious border crisis of this magnitude in 2019 under the Trump administration, there were less than a million people apprehended for the full year. So again, through only 11 months of this fiscal year, we've apprehended over 1.5 million people. That number is going to grow when we get mm-hmm. the final data. Right. And it's, it's likely going to be over 1.7 it, when it's, it's all so said it's, and done. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a historic amount of people that are coming to the U.S., and it is directly related to, to what the Biden administration has mm-hmm. done since they took over in January uh, 2021. Um, and speaking of, again, other things that, that the Biden administration has done to accommodate and encourage illegal immigration, the Department of Homeland Security has released some new policy uh, from the Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And as you can imagine, it is not good. Uh, Mayorkas just announced new enforcement guidelines for ICE. Um, These pretty much tell ICE officers who they can and cannot arrest and prioritize for removal. Um, DHS released these new guidelines and, you know, they're really something else. Under the guidance, essentially, unless you're a terrorist, you get to remain in the country. Uh, And uh, in a separate second um, um, memorandum that he released, they essentially stopped all worksite enforcement. So the two of these memos taken together, who in the United States that's living here illegally is really being deported. This is essentially, it's not, ICE may still be standing, um, but it, it appears that they've used these two executive policies to essentially abolish the purpose of ICE, which is to arrest, detain, and remove illegal aliens in the interior of the United States. Well, you know, some I, I feel like this is very tactically created, uh, this 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 policy change, because the intention here, again, is to apprehend and deport as few individuals as possible. 
And since it takes years uh, for immigration judges to hear a case due to the backlog of cases, which again is caused because the administration has put in place policies that invite more individuals to come to the United States, you could claim that almost any illegal alien, by the time they have their cases heard, have lived here for, quote, a lengthy presence. You know, yep. it's likely going to be one to five years at that point. And, you know, the main reason it takes so long to process one of these cases, besides the fact that there are millions, uh, a backlog of over a million in the court right now, you've also got mass immigration advocates that harass judges, fi- file meritless motions, lie in court, and overall make it very hard for them to do their job along with the fact that you've got mass immigration politicians uh, putting in place policies that make this process worse. Um, So essentially, in a way, you could interpret this as I saying, yeah, we created a massive issue and our solution is to tell them we're not going to punish you, which is only going to make the issue even worse. And of course, the other thing I found interesting here real quick was the note that... uh, you know, individuals who have mental issues will not be removed. And on the surface, well, that sounds that sounds honorable. You know, we don't necessarily, you know, in other issues, the United States doesn't like to punish individuals who might have a mental condition. But the language of this was crafted so it could be interpreted extreme in a, you know, an extreme broad manner. You know, again, making the trek, you know, traversing from, you know, Central America, even Mexico to the United States is extremely dangerous. And, I mean, it's the type of thing that could, uh, you know, cause PTSD or other mental or, or anxiety issues and even mm-hmm. the strongest person. So, again, you're kind of crafting something that could be interpreted to say, well, essentially the mass, ma- the vast majority of individuals who are crossing the border illegally could qualify for this kind of relief. So you could argue that this is essentially telling ICE you can't deport anyone except maybe mass murderers. And looking at the way this is written, I could make an argument that you can't even deport a mass murderer. Right, because um, and I'm I'm reading I'm about to read directly from from the the document we have it in front of us. So this is this is quoting from this ICE enforcement guidance. There can be mitigating factors that militate in favor of declining enforcement action. Such factors can include, for example, advanced or tender age, lengthy presence in the United States a mental condition that may have contributed to the criminal conduct or a physical or a mental condition requiring care or treatment. Uh, The impact of removal on family in the United States, such as loss of provider or caregiver. Um, So essentially you can make the argument that if someone uh, goes on a deranged rampage because of an existing mental condition, kills multiple people, but if they have a family in the U.S., they're over the age of like 65 uh, and they have this mental condition, they're not going anywhere. I mean, they'll probably be in a U.S. jail, but yeah. um, aside from they're not being deported under this guidance. No, and of course, if they're if they're ruled that they can't be deported and they're going to stay in a U.S. mental facility or U.S. jail, again, that it's not like our incarceration system is not overloaded as it is right. and an extreme burden on American taxpayers. Uh, it's, you know, either way, this is not something that's beneficial to Americans, and it's honestly not beneficial to most migrants either. You know, if, if people are wondering, our listeners, you know, why is there a border crisis? Why are we seeing these uh, apprehension total, totals the way that we're seeing them right now? I mean, it's, it's stuff like this. I mean, it's like almost every month, DHS, Secretary Mayorkas, they release these memos that are virtually protect all illegal aliens from being removed from the country, arrested, and 
Yeah, again, that's a magnet for people to come to our country legally. And it's no brainer. I mean, I, I just, you know, these keep coming out and out and there's, there's no deterrent put in place. Um, so I, I just, I don't understand if they're really trying to gain control, regain control of the border, why issue something like this? Maybe they're not even trying to regain control of the border. Maybe no, that's I, their, that's the goal. For, for the most part, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to give the administration, uh, undo credit and say that they've got their ducks in a row. But a lot of this is so intentional. Yeah. I mean, it's it's habitual for, uh, you know, government bureaucrats to write thousand page bills where every single thing is written out in detail. But in this case, they just use a couple of sentences to make something extremely overbroad. That's completely intentional so that they basically have the leeway to do whatever they want, which at this point is to not remove individuals that are in the U.S. Uh, illegally. Again, I think a lot of this is this is what our extreme our you know our extreme left wing base wants, and the Biden administration has shown time and time again that they're going to give them whatever they want, and then they're plan they know it's going to turn into a crisis. And like we mentioned earlier, like you mentioned earlier, Matthew, they're just going to react to whatever crisis happens. Oh well, we'll deal with that. You know, whenever the whenever the crisis comes up, or not deal with it then. So something that. FAIR has advocated for for a long time is the increased use of worksite enforcement, both right. both to crack down on employers that are hiring illegal aliens instead of Americans, but also because you have a, a great opportunity to identify, detain, and remove a large number of illegal aliens at one time. Th you know, th this is a two-pronged approach where you're cracking down both on the presence of illegal aliens, but you're also punishing these employers and holding them accountable for the fact that they were hiring illegal aliens in the first place. This second piece of guidance from ICE tells ICE officers to cease mass worksite uh, operations. And I'm quoting, quoting from this, given our concerns, please ensure we no longer conduct mass worksite operations and instead refocus our workplace enforcement efforts to better accomplish the goals outlined in this document. Um, so this is, this is really big news. Um, the Trump administration, in my opinion, actually didn't use worksite enforcement enough, but they did have a few notable cases of it. For instance, the, the chicken processing plants, mm -hmm. I believe in Mississippi. Yeah, Mississippi. Right. Um, yeah. But but and even then they, they could have gone much harder against those employers, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, this this is another instance of the Biden administration accommodating illegal aliens, accommodating employers that hire them, that rely on on paying them almost nothing to, to you know, to work. So um, I wanted to get y your guys thoughts on this in addition to to what we've just been talking about with the other ICE guidance, because I think this is a this is a huge change in policy. Yeah, it, I mean, it's an it's an absolute joke. I mean, to say the least, put it bluntly, but. Um, you know, this is something, again, that's going to serve as a magnet for illegal immigration. Uh, you know, when you have more illegal aliens working in this country, it's going to affect American wages, likely depress them uh, significantly. And it just it shows you where, where the administration's priorities are at. I mean, they literally see no problem with someone working here illegally. Uh, they're trying to protect them at all costs from removal, mm -hmm. now better, with better wages, working conditions. I mean, there is no, in their mind... Illegal versus legal person. I'm I'm convinced of that. Right, and that that policy is why you're seeing so many lawful migrants. You know, areas like in South Texas and in Florida, 
rejecting, you know, these politicians voting for their opponents because they don't want to be lumped in with individuals who violate the law. But, you know, I think, first of all, it's concer- it concerns me that the Biden administration seems to think that there are these, quote, mass worksite enforcement, you know, right. raids going on because we looked, I think if you look at the uh, most recent report on this, which was from 2018, I think it was fewer than 2,000 individuals that were uh, that were it was administrat- a very small part. Yeah, yeah. less than 2,000 administrative and criminal arrests resulting from uh, worksite enforcement. Keep in mind, there are more than 14 million illegal aliens in the United States right now. So that qualifies. Most of as, whom are working. Too. Most yeah. of whom are working. The vast majority of those coming to the United States illegally right now are economic migrants, those that are coming for work exclusively. That's going to become an even bigger issue if they know that ICE isn't even allowed to, you know, look into employers that are illegally hiring individuals. And that is going to make a lot more employers do that. And, you know, Preston, you brought up the example of the uh, of the, the poultry processing plant in uh, Mississippi that was raided. And that example alone completely deconstructs the narrative of, well, we need illegal aliens because we need, you know, individuals that'll do jobs supposedly Americans won't. After that took place, that poultry farm had a job fair and they had multiple times more the applicants than they had positions available. And there were individuals coming in and said, man, I've been looking for work for years. Right. There was one individual an elderly uh, black man who said he had been unemployed for for quite a long time and had applied three times before to that poultry plant. Uh, a, a U.S. citizen who was looking for work who did not get work because this this plant insisted on hiring illegal aliens. He was willing to go work the wages that they were offering, which were depressed because they were hiring illegal aliens to U.S. citizens, and they said no. They said, we don't have a spot for you. And he was coming in. He was like, I hope the fourth time's the charm. I heard that they, you know, got rid of right. those that weren't allowed <laughs> to work here, and I'm hoping I can get a job now. That 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 narrative is just false. Mm-hmm. And now, essentially, the Biden administration is steering into that. And comically, they said, "Oh, we'd rather focus on abusive labor practices instead of the hiring of illegal aliens," as if. The reason these individuals are hiring illegal aliens is so they can get away with paying people less than a living wage. Yep. Exactly. And treating them like absolute garbage when they're working for them as well because they see right. them as, these companies see them as completely disposable and just completely dispensable. Right. Yeah. And 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 they and up at least up until this point, these illegal aliens could not uh, compete openly in the labor market. They had just limited opportunity and employers knew this. That's why they paid them less. They paid them less than minimum wage in many cases. And, you know, could treat them however they wanted because what are these people, what are these illegal aliens going to do? You know, are they going to, you know, <laughs> report them to, you know, OSHA or to, you know, some some uh, labor board? Are they going to quit and go somewhere that gives better wages? I mean, the reason this whole issue exists is because of nefarious employers who want to undercut the market. Exactly. And, you know, I, I really think that is a great point to, to end today's discussion on. Uh, For everyone listening at home, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I want to also encourage everyone to listen to our previous episode where we interviewed a number of guests uh, live from our annual Hold Their Feet to the Fire Radio Row event. It was a really cool episode. We interviewed a lot of former Trump administration officials. Um, We interviewed our very own Matthew Trexer, who put the event together. So I encourage everyone to check that episode out. 
Uh, and if you liked this podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends and family. For more information on FAIR and our mission, please visit fairus.org or find us on Twitter at FAIR Immigration and on Facebook. Until next time, this has been the Understanding Immigration podcast presented by FAIR.